From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at FRC. It's my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony and with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We do hope, as we do every day, that we will be able to educate you, make you a little more prepared to live in the world that God has placed you in. Today on the program, a variety of stories. Disney has moved hard to the left in recent years, and their stock price has recently plummeted. This week, they fired their CEO. Are these things related? Is corporate wokeness bad for business? We'll discuss that today. Also, a special counsel has been appointed to investigate former President Trump. Is this a sign of neutrality from the Department of Justice, or yet another sign that the Department of Justice has been weaponized? We'll cover that as well. Speaking of politicized government agencies, Dr. Fauci gave his final press conference today. What is his legacy, and what does it mean for public health going forward? And what's the status of COVID? How concerned should we be? We'll talk about all that a little later in the program today. But first, our headlines. In remarks last week, President Biden sounded anything but bullish on the economy, warning Americans that we could see setbacks and that even more time is needed to reduce inflation. And with grocery prices now up more than 12% over the 12 months ending in October, working American families are feeling the pinch this Thanksgiving. Is the worst behind us? Can a Republican Congress slow spending next year to rein in inflation? Joining me now to discuss this is U.S. Representative Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee, the House Select Committee on the Economy, and he represents Ohio's 8th Congressional District. Congressman Davidson, good to see you today. Uh, always nice to talk with you, Joseph. Thank you. Well, I want to give you a chance to respond to President Biden. The economy continues after the election to be a big story. Here's what he had to say over the weekend about inflation and the prospects of it getting better. Let's play clip three. But it's going to take it's going to take time to get inflation back to normal levels as we keep our job market strong so we could see setbacks along the way. I don't doubt that. But so far, we're in good shape. But we're laser focused on that. Congressman Davidson, is that a fair assessment? Uh, no, he's not laser focused on it. I mean, clearly, you know, we didn't get here accidentally. There were policy choices. This wasn't just some random occurrence that somehow inflation showed up. Uh, Joe Biden's offered the same things, restrictions on supply uh, and and, um, you know, things that would stifle capital investment in lots of big spending plans. I guess the good news is with Republicans coming into the House, there's some hope for a more measured look at spending. Uh, and and I guess our hope is that, uh, at least on the conservative end, that, that all of our colleagues join in that more measured look at, at spending. So we'll see. I guess that's the bright spot is there's there's hope that some of these bad policies will be reversed. Congressman Davidson, do you think it's inevitable that inflation is going to come down just over time as we continue to recover from the impacts of all of the money that the federal government pushed into the economy as supply chain issues get fixed? Or does Congress have to take action in order to see inflation uh, fixed? Well, the Federal Reserve uh, has taken action, and they've re- they've they've raised rates pretty substantially. Historically, inflation doesn't get under control until the short-term cost of money, short-term interest rates, uh, exceeds the rate of inflation, and those two are approaching one another at least at this point. 
if you take the official number uh, at face value. If you look at the supply constraints, there are more people um, working than there were. The unemployment rate's low, but there are still fewer people working today than there were prior uh, to COVID. So there are lots of people still on the sidelines. And perhaps one of the big drivers, uh, energy policy, Joe Biden hasn't reversed energy policy, though he did signal to Saudi Arabia, hey, we're not going to try to prosecute, uh, you know, MBS for, you know, the Jamal Khashoggi uh, uh, incident, which is something that Joe Biden promised on the campaign trail. Nevertheless, Joe Biden administration in the same week is trying to prosecute former President Trump. So uh, I guess he's going to give a pass to, uh, you know, the leader of Saudi Arabia, but he won't give a pass uh, on anything. Uh, to, to Donald Trump. And I don't think people want to pass out of America's justice system. They want, you know, one standard. Uh, and, and so you consider, continue to see politicization. That's what a lot of people fear the Biden administration is focused on. And meanwhile, they're not abandoning their bad policies. They're driving this for energy. Well, Saudi Arabia did pull off one of the greatest upsets in World Cup history today when they beat England 2-1, to one, so perhaps they will be in a better mood and we could get some more cooperation from them, although, uh, sadly, I doubt that's going to have much of an impact. Congressman Davidson, we are in a lame duck session. Uh, a lot of Americans kind of think that after an election and before the next Congress is sworn in, where everybody takes time off, but that's certainly not the case this year. There's a couple of really important issues uh, at being debated right now in Congress, one of which is the Respect for Marriage Act, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which would, of course, redefine marriage in federal statute. Uh, you've talked about this, Bill. What are your issues with that? Well, the, the Senate did at least address one of the big concerns. I sent letters to our senators. I encouraged my colleagues to share a similar letter with theirs. Uh, at the House pass version, made no uh, recognition of of marriage, at all, uh, of enforcement um, concerns that were in the House Pass Bill. The House Pass Bill, you know, ostensibly is about gay marriage and interracial marriage, um, neither of which is actively being threatened by any state or federal legislature. Um, but nevertheless, they wanted to move the bill. The real thing was in the House version, it gave enforceability uh, to, to anyone who claimed discrimination on the basis of, you know, race or gender in their marriage. Um, and in the Senate, this would have um, done what Hillary Clinton said in 2016, you'll just have to change your doctrine. So uh, in the Senate, they did at least address that for nonprofits, uh, churches, for example, or church properties or faith-based nonprofits like the Family Research Council. Uh, you want people that are aligned in doctrine and in worldview uh, as part of these kinds of organizations. But uh, what the Senate passed, uh, the Senate language that's up for debate today doesn't yet do uh, is deal with individual freedom. And of course, the second or the First Amendment deals with individual freedom, not just uh, the ability of a church uh, to have its own doctrine, but for you, not just to um, have your faith, but to exercise it freely. Uh, and that's what's protected in the Constitution. So I think ultimately that's where the court would land. But in the meantime, you're almost guaranteed to see more of these um, court cases like Masterpiece Cake or, you know, uh, photographers for weddings, venue hosts, saying that individuals have discriminated against them. And uh, they'll use this this text uh, that's working its way through the Senate uh, if we don't change it. So, uh, you know, I think Mike Lee has a good, thoughtful amendment. Uh, it'd be great to see that adopted. And of course, you know, the, the real answer is to just 
let's just keep marriage the way that marriage was designed to be, one man and one woman. That's exactly right. And there is still time to do that, though. Twelve Republicans in the Senate did join with the Democrats to advance this legislation forward for debate. Uh, They would have to vote again. They'd have to get 60 senators again to vote to pass the bill on a cloture vote so that it could actually advance. If three of those 12, any three of those 12, decided after debating the issue that it is, in fact, not a good idea, that legislation would not pass. And so we are encouraging people, uh, continuing to encourage people uh, to contact our legislators. They should do so by going to frcaction.org or text the word marriage to 67742. Text the word marriage to 67742 to find out how you can take action right now. And speaking of continuing, um, there is a continuing resolution also being debated in Congress. Uh, Tell us what you're working on with that. Well, a continuing resolution uh, would be great if we got it into the next Congress because you'd have a Republican majority in the House. It'd be more uh, likely to be amended. But, you know, uh, the deadline for funding the federal government is October 1st. That's when the new fiscal year starts. Uh, if Democrats were proud of what's in this bill, they would have voted on it before the election. They're loading it up with all kinds of bad policy. And Republicans have uh, the narrowest of hopes of stopping this bill. And one of the ways that we could stop it is the Defense Authorization Act has to be passed before they can get into appropriations. You have to get the authorizing language across the finish line. Um, And look, the American people are already sending the signal by not joining in the military, by uh, changing the focus there. They've really caused a lot of families to second guess. I mean, I've had had a a girl in our district say no to an Air Force Academy appointment over kind of some of the kind of more woke ideology concerns, uh, which is hard to see for our country. So if Republicans could hold together, we could stop uh, the defense authorization from passing without some reform. And, you know, that might take time. That might get us into the next year. But fundamentally, Democrats want a really big spending bill, lots of strings attached. And as I say, don't bankrupt America financially or morally. This bill certainly threatens to do both. Congressman Davidson, looking beyond the lame duck session, the majority for the Republicans will be narrower than they had certainly hoped uh, heading into next year. But it will be a majority nonetheless. What are you hoping this new Republican majority does when it convenes in January? Well, first and foremost, I hope that well, we are on offense. So Democrats with a four-seat majority, you would have thought they had 100 seats. And Republicans certainly didn't uh, go very aggressively when Paul Ryan was speaker. So it was great to be there. I kept getting questions like, how do you guys not have a plan for X? And then I would pull out this little booklet called A Better Way that was drafted before I got elected. I came in in June of sixteen. Uh, and, you know, Paul Ryan was already speaker, and I would show, well, well, here's the play right here. And they would say, well, why aren't you guys doing that? I'm like, well, that's that's something I'm still learning. And as you look uh, now well into this uh, time uh, in Congress, I think Republicans are done with this. They, they want to see our party uh, follow through, do what we said we would do in the campaign. And if that's a two-seat majority, three-seat majority, five-seat majority, somewhere in that range, Uh, We are still going to have the gavels. We have to move forward and do the things we promised to do if we're ever going to earn the trust uh, to grow our majority, take back the Senate and flip the White House. Now, 
We know over the last two years of Congress that these January 6 committees uh, sucked up a lot of energy from Congress. And by most people's assessment, because it didn't even they didn't even allow Republican members on the committee. This was in, in objectively a, a partisan effort, essentially a commercial for the Republicans to try to or for the Democrats against uh, former President Trump. And now there is um, there is the assumption and there has been the uh, suggestion by congressional Republicans that they are going to do their own set of investigations, including against President Biden, uh, related to his son Hunter, and a, a variety of other investigations. How do you defend yourself against the allegation that, well, the Democrats were just abusing their power, now the Republicans are just abusing their power for political purposes? Look, I think the frustration for the average American is they know that justice departments, look, they, Lady Justice is blindfolded in the statues for a reason. Uh, justice is supposed to be applied even-handedly, and they, they know that it hasn't been done that way. And look, CBS, two years after the fact, finally comes out and says, oh, yeah, Hunter Biden's laptop's real. I mean, we could have told you that right away. They said, you know, the, the, the supposedly brilliant people uh, in the intelligence community said, oh, no, it looks like Russian disinformation. You had a, a, a person, Tony Bobolinsky, come forward and say, well, if it's Russian disinformation, how do I have a carbon copy of the same email? I was in the email chain. They got me too? No, I have had this laptop. This is uh, something I was part of. And no one would even give him a follow-up interview, including Fox News, after his Tucker Carlson interview. All the intelligence. It seems like a high school kid could have solved this case. Uh, and, and so we just want the Justice Department to function. And, uh, you know, you look at... You know, like I said, Congressman there's a Davidson, lot of about what's happening. I know you have a lot more to say there, but we are out of time. So we're going to have to bring you back to continue this conversation. I know it will continue, so we will do that. But thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Coming up, a corporate shakeup at Disney. We'll tell you all about it when we come back right here on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting for Tony. So glad that you are with us. Website is TonyPerkins.com. On Sunday evening, the Walt Disney Company stunned the business world by announcing it had fired CEO Bob Chapek. The move paved the way for Chapek's former boss, Bob Iger, to return as Disney's top executive. Over the past year, the Magic Kingdom had lost 36% of its stock value, even as the Chapek-led company waded into topics such as Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act. Could there be a lesson here for other corporations and their CEOs? Joining me now to discuss this is Steve Sokup. He's the vice president of the Political Forum and the author of The Dictatorship of Woke Capital. Steve, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much for having me, Joseph. I appreciate it. We're glad to have you. Now, Disney has had some public fights, as we mentioned there, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis over a parental rights bill. Leaked videos from staff meetings showed that Disney writers are trying to use the company as a way to promote progressive values. Excuse me. Does this have anything to do with their financial struggles? It certainly has something to do with it, but I, I wouldn't put all of the weight of this on Bob Chapek. Um, Chapek has done a, a rather poor job uh, of implementing the Disney strategy, uh, but this is a strategy particularly with respect to politics and, and what we would call woke capital, woke politics. <laughs> Uh, that was laid out for him uh, before he ever took over. So uh, in, in a sense, in essence, what Disney has done here has jumped out of the fire and into the frying pan by uh, rehiring Bob Iger. So is Bob Iger ideologically no different or no better than, than Bob Chapek? I, I would say Bob Iger is probably further, further to the left than Bob Chapek. Um, Iger uh, is very politically inclined. Um, he is, you know, he thought long and hard about running for the Democratic presidential nomination uh, in 2020. Uh, he got Disney involved in politics uh, long before uh, Bob Chapek was the CEO. Uh, and so I would say, in fact, Bob Iger is further to the left. Uh, the thing that Bob Iger has going for him is he's incredibly well liked. He's a very nice man. Uh, he, nobody uh, who works at Disney or who's ever worked with him, uh, from Disney, uh, it thinks that he's a problem. He's a very nice guy. He gets along with everybody. 
Uh, he's the world's nicest CEO, according to uh, anybody who knows him. So uh, that's one advantage that he has. But certainly his politics are probably further to the left uh, than Chapin's. Well, it does seem like a company like Disney should have a very friendly CEO at the very least. But Disney has had significant financial struggles in the last few years. They have extensive holdings in China. We know China has experienced some difficulties over the last couple of years. Just because of the lockdowns, being in the theme park business has been a challenge as well. Do you attribute more of Disney's financial challenges to just those situations? Well, I, I actually do. Um, I, Chapik is getting uh, a lot of grief uh, for his decision to uh, pursue streaming as uh, Disney's future. Uh, but in reality, Chapik's hands were tied. He took over the company just as the COVID uh, crisis was beginning. Uh, and as you mentioned, um, Bob Iger, his predecessor, and now his successor as well, uh, made huge bets uh, on China. Um, he bet the future of the company on its ability uh, to recruit the Chinese movie-going populace and to uh, recruit those uh, visitors to the to the Shanghai uh, Disney Park. Uh, so th- this is very much uh, something that predates Chapek's tenure uh, as CEO, and is something that uh, Iger is going to have to solve a problem that he created himself. So a lot of people would see see this situation because I some people have canceled their Disney vacations and they've ended their Disney Plus subscriptions and they would see news like this and say, hey, maybe we did something. Um, but it seems like there might be other circumstances that have really led to the financial challenges Disney has been facing. Does that mean you do not expect Disney to change course? With respect to its uh, very vocal uh, and very aggressive, in some cases, left-wing political activism? Well, it's hard to say. It depends on what kind of lessons Bob Iger has learned. Um, Bob Iger took on uh, two different governors, two different Republican governors of Georgia in 2016, and then uh, again in 2019 uh, over religious freedom and then over abortion. Uh, And he made a very, very vocal uh, complaint about Georgia, where Disney does a lot of its filming. Um, and so he wasn't, uh, the legacy he passed on to Bob Chapek was of political activism. So if, if Bob Iger has learned anything uh, about how difficult it is to manage a company once you get involved in politics, uh, then this will be good for the company. Uh, if he hasn't, uh, if he continues to believe that he can uh, advance his political agenda uh, using his shareholders' wealth as leverage, uh, then this is going to be a problem for Disney, a huge problem. Now, Disney is not the only company that's been facing these kind of challenges. In the news lately, BlackRock has seen a lot of money moved out of their portfolio because, uh, for example, Republican state treasurers have seen the way they've been using that money, saying we don't want our state investment dollars uh, being used for those purposes and moving it away from BlackRock. Do you think broadly outside of Disney, there's any reevaluation by corporate America? Are any of these uh, decisions by, for example, the Republican uh, treasurers, is that changing the way that left-wing corporate America might be behaving? It, certainly it's changing the way left-wing corporate America is talking about the issues. I don't believe we've seen any significant change in behavior yet. Uh, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, uh, remains committed to sustainability. Uh, Every time the issue is brought up, he insists that 
ESG, environmental, social, and governance investing, uh, is in fact a risk management technique, not uh, a political uh, tactic. Uh, and so I, I believe that they still adhere to their beliefs, although they've tempered their rhetoric just a little bit. Steve Sokup, in about 30 seconds, uh, where do you see things going? Is there any leverage? Is this situation going to get any better? Uh, absolutely, there's leverage. Um, I just finished the preface to the paperback edition of my book, The Dictatorship of Will Capital, uh, in which I say the last two years have surprised me at how much progress we've made, and I continue to believe that there's progress to be made uh, in the near future. Steve Sokup, thanks so much for your time, and we appreciate that final encouragement. And happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Same to you, Joseph. Coming up, Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel who will investigate the Mar-a-Lago raid at President, former President Trump's home, potentially leading to criminal, uh, criminal indictments. We'll tell you if this is a good development for the Department of Justice or a bad one right after the break. Stay with us. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. Last week, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed a former Justice Department official, Jack Smith, to the role of special counsel. His job will be to investigate the criminal probe into the retention of presidential records held at former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. Smith will also oversee the Department of Justice's investigation into the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. 
As many Americans grow increasingly concerned about a weaponized system of justice from the Biden administration, what will this mean for the investigation of a former president who has already announced he's running for president again in 2024? Joining me now to help explain the many maneuverings of this ongoing case is John Dacus, former acting assistant attorney general for civil rights at the U.S. Department of Justice. John, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hello, Joseph. It's nice to be with you again. It's good to see you. John, walk us through the appointment of the independent counsel and what this means. So, uh, Joseph, it's important to understand that the uh, so-called independent counsel is not really independent. Uh, he still reports to the attorney general, to Merrick Garland, who reports to the president, President Biden. This is not like the special counsels and the independent counsels um, that Congress created, for example, Ken Starr and Whitewater, who are independent of the president and the Justice Department. So this independent counsel is not truly independent. He still is under the direction of the president through the attorney general. Now, Merrick Garland, when announcing this appointment, gave a different impression. Here's what he had to say. Let's play clip four. Based on recent developments, including the former president's announcement that he is a candidate for president in the next election and the sitting president's stated intention to be a candidate as well, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. Such an, employ, uh, an appointment underscores the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters. Now, John, if you say that this independent counsel still reports to Merrick Garland, how is it an independent counsel? Well, in a sense, it's not. I mean, Joseph, this is uncharted territory. We have the president of the United States using the Department of Justice to pursue and prosecute a former president of the United States and, and his political rival. Uh, that is, uh, President Biden is pursuing his political rival for political gain, apparently. Um, this, to my mind, is really just putting lipstick on a pig, if you will. Um, there is a veneer of independence here by calling this person independent counsel. And Jack Smith, the person who's been uh, appointed, uh, appears to be very qualified. But he still reports to uh, Merrick Garland to the attorney general. The attorney general can still fire him. The attorney general can tell him what to do and what not to do. So it's not truly independent. Is there a way that this investigation could be done in a way that uh, you would consider to be truly independent? Uh, not through um, the Biden Justice Department. Um, what, what you really uh, you could certainly have um, uh, a former judge or a panel of judges appointed uh, to review this. But again, Joseph, this is just so un-American, uh, so not what we do in this country. Um, what we normally do where we have an issue with the president is we have Congress determine whether to impeach him through the House, and then there's a trial in the Senate. And by the way, that already happened with respect to uh, January 6th and allegations that President Trump engaged in election improprieties. So there's a con that, that while this is not while there's an issue about whether there's legal, legally an issue of double jeopardy here, there certainly is a sense that we've been there, done that. We already had Congress investigate this, try the president for these alleged uh, crimes and improprieties, and acquit the president. 
So we're just going back to the same crimes over again. And the concept of double jeopardy, which is so dear to us in, in Anglo-American jurisprudence, is that someone shouldn't be put at jeopardy twice, shouldn't be prosecuted for the same crime twice. That's what's happening with respect to the January 6th and election aspect of, of this um, uh, investigation. Because, of course, there was a, an impeachment uh, trial on that question, which is different than a criminal probe, uh, which is what's happening now. And so that's the reason that this isn't actually double jeopardy and uh, in, in unconstitutional. Is that correct? Well, well it's a little unclear uh, here because, again, this is all unprecedented. No one's ever done this before. Uh, Article uh, 1, Section 3 of the Constitution says that if, if uh, the Senate convicts a president, uh, the president is not immune from subsequent criminal prosecutions for that conduct. But that speaks about a conviction. Here, the president was acquitted. Uh, the uh, Fifth Amendment of the Constitution uh, deals with double jeopardy. And there's an issue about whether um, uh, an impeachment uh, is the same sort of criminal prosecution or criminal penalty, which would involve double jeopardy. But again, setting those legal niceties to the side, and they're important, the concept still applies here, which, again, we've been there, done that. Why are we doing this again through what, frankly, is, is not an independent um, a process? We're going to continue to ask those questions. John, in about 30 seconds, what do you expect to result from the special counsel's investigation? Well, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but I think... Um, from the Biden administration standpoint, they want to keep the focus on President Trump because they think that helps them politically. They think that that helped to soften their losses in the, in the last uh, election we just had where they lost the House that held the Senate. So I think they just want to keep him in focus. And I really have a feeling that there, there aren't adults in the room who should be thinking historically and big picture, why are we doing this? Um, concerning an ex-president. Do we look like a banana republic with this kind of uh, tit-for-tat uh, attacks on our opponents? It's a very fair question. John Dawkins, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Joseph. Coming up next, Dr. Fauci had his final press conference today. We'll tell you what happened when we come back. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAN to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can find this and every episode of Washington Watch. Earlier today, Dr. Anthony Fauci gave his final press conference as part of the National Institute for Health. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre had this to say about Dr. Fauci. For close to four decades and under seven Republican and Democratic presidents, Dr. Fauci has always led with the science and our country is stronger and healthier because of his leadership. Before leaving, Dr. Fauci took questions from reporters and also gave America a final message. My message and my final message, maybe the final message I give you from this podium, is that please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Not everyone shares Dr. Fauci's passion for more vaccines. In fact, last week, a bipartisan vote in the Senate voted to terminate the COVID-19 national emergency under the National Emergencies Act. While this resolution has not been brought to a vote in the House, President Biden had said he would veto the resolution if it reached his desk. Is Congress correct that the COVID emergency is over? Will anything change under without Dr. Fauci's presence? Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He's a professor of medicine at Stanford University and one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. Dr. Bhattacharya, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Well, what are your thoughts on uh, Dr. Fauci's final press briefing today, as well as just his departure from the National Institute for Health? I mean, it certainly is an end of an era. I think he's been there for 38 years. Uh, it's and you know both both good and bad. Like he's led the NIAID, the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease, for for quite a long time, and they've done a lot of interesting research. Uh, you know, with, uh, with under Tony Fauci's uh, um, you know sort of leadership. Um, at the same time, I think any honest evaluation of how he's done 
during COVID, you have to say that he, he has not succeeded. Uh, a, a tremendous number of people have died from COVID. The uh, interventions that he's put forward, the lockdowns, the school closures, uh, the vaccine mandates have created tremendous distrust in public health and have not protected vulnerable people from, from COVID and have caused tremendous harm to, uh, to the, the life prospects of children, for the poor, the vulnerable, the working class. Um, his advice has turned out very badly. And I think that will, uh, that will mark his reputation forever. To that point, I am under the impression, though I cannot cite where I saw this at the moment, that about 5% of Americans have received the latest COVID booster vaccine, which seems to suggest that people are either um, indifferent to the CDC guidance or simply unaware of it. Do you think that there is a, a credibility problem now between the American public and our, our health officials? I do. I think there's a credibility problem. I think the vaccines were oversold. People were told by Tony Fauci that the, the, if they took the vaccine, essentially that the disease would go away. The vaccine doesn't stop you from getting infected. That was very clear early in 2021, certainly by May 2021, that was abundantly clear. Uh, and, and people stopped trusting public health when public health oversells the evidence. Uh, uh, the White House spokesman person said that, uh, that, he, that Tony Fauci had led with science his entire career there. Actually, that's not true. The, the science did not sh show at the time that, that COVID, that the vaccines would stop transmission. I, I believe that vaccines were useful for protecting vulnerable older people against severe disease. But even if you got the vaccine, you could get COVID, uh, and they did. And people saw that. And I think that the trust in public health is at an all-time low. Certainly in, in, during, in my own career, I've never seen it lower than it is at this moment. Well, at his press conference today, Dr. Fauci continues to uh, fight, it seems, the COVID, vac the COVID virus. Here's, here's what he had to say about the current threat posed by COVID. Let's play clip six. The real danger is in the people who have not been vaccinated. So that's where we expect if we're going to see a problem this winter, it's going to be among those people. Dr. Bhattacharya, do you agree with that? I mean, I think the vast majority of the American population, 90% more, have already been infected and recovered from COVID. They therefore have, even the unvaccinated, that's true, um, but both vaccinated and unvaccinated alike, that's true. Uh, so that means that they have pretty good protection against severe disease, even on infection. And Omicron itself, the, the variant that's currently floating around, well, that, that variant seems like it produces milder disease. So if he means that the unvaccinated face a severe danger, well, what you should distinguish. Unvaccinated who've never had COVID before, have managed to hide themselves away forever and never got the vaccine. Yeah, maybe. And if you're elderly, maybe that makes sense, some sense. But for the vast majority of people, um, even unvaccinated or, unva or vaccinated, they're protected by dint of immunity from COVID, by, based on COVID recovery. They had COVID recovered and therefore have pretty good protection. It's a vast overstatement uh, based on no evidence. Dr. Fauci has been a, become a household name, of course, in America, and he's self-described as a representation of science itself. Now, of course, somebody is going to fill this role. Any idea who that's going to be, and will it matter? It will absolutely matter. And I don't actually I don't think I want anybody to fill the role of science itself, <laughs> that no one should have that that uh, the ability to say unironically that if you criticize me, you are not simply criticizing a man, you are criticizing science itself. There is no high pope of science 
Uh, it is absolutely it's 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 absolutely a mistake to ever uh, designate someone as so far outside the bounds of criticism that you can't that that he can say whatever he believes the science says and everyone has to just go along with it. Science involves questioning. Science involves the uh, development of evidence and then changing your mind in the face of that evidence. He has not done that. He, in fact, what he's done is through through all through the COVID pandemic, what I've noticed is that he has made a, a statements at odds with the evidence from on high and expected everyone to go along with him. And distressingly, very large parts of public health have done exactly that. We're all very familiar now with the debates over the science and the different uh, parties, the different sides of that debate. Um, now that we are almost three years into this, what's your advice to the American public? Because people don't want to get COVID. People don't want to get their relatives sick. They want to avoid sickness themselves. But as you as you point out, there is a credibility problem. People don't know who to trust. What are you telling people they should do, if anything, now? At this point, I, my advice is unless you are uh, immunocompromised, was deeply immunocompromised, and for whatever reason the vaccines haven't taken, and you've somehow managed to avoid COVID, getting COVID up to now, except for that very small fraction of the population, I tell almost everybody else, live your life. It's, it's far past time to stop thinking that uh, the avoidance of a single infectious disease is the sole purpose of your life. You're hurting yourself if you hide yourself away from your 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 grandkids, your your uh, your, your your children, your interactions with others. Um, it's time to start living much more normally than we have the last two two and a half years. It's time to stop living in fear. Um, the the vaccines and the fact that you've had COVID and recovered protects you. Uh, there's no guarantees in life. Uh, you, you could get COVID. Um, but the death rate from COVID is lower now th at, per infection than it has been through the entire pandemic at levels that are uh, in line with many, many other risks that most people are willing to take, the vast majority of people are willing to take in their lives. So my advice is to most people, the vast majority of people, is live your life. Yeah. Even before COVID, we would occasionally see people in the airport with a mask, right? And, of course, mask wearing became very common during the COVID pandemic. And now most people in public anecdotally are not wearing masks, but there are a handful who still are. Um, what do you think is, is anything for those who are currently still taking precautions, is anything going to be different, say two or five years from now than it is today? I mean, I think there may be a small minority, a very small minority of people who continue to wear masks. Um, but for the vast majority of the population, five years from now, it'll be a bad memory. Yeah. And as we look back and evaluate the effectiveness of the advice to wear masks, I think what we'll find is what we've kind of already found in many scientific studies, that, that, that this advice actually was counterproductive. It did not work to protect people from getting COVID. It divided the population along these lines that uh, that should never be divided politically, certainly uh, in terms of public health, um, but also divide it divided people into this this sense of like you know this 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 I'm empathic I'm trying to protect you by wearing my, my mask. We moralized the wearing of a mask. Right. I think well, five years from now we're going to look back on that as a black moment in public health, a dark moment in public health, where we uh, where we overstated the evidence about the efficacy of this intervention, and then allowed it to be politicized and moralized, and uh, as a result, diminished the authority and the trust in the by the public in public health.
Do you think the health risk from COVID will be less in five years than it is today? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the key thing is that when you get COVID and recover, it provides immunity in the sense of uh, certainly protection against reinfection until a new variant comes out and also protection against severe disease on reinfection. And uh, it's just like the other coronaviruses. I think at some point it'll, it'll look like the other coronaviruses you got when you were little. Um, it, you didn't suffer too much for it because you got it when you were little and your immune system was good at dealing with new things. And then you got it again when you were six years old or at nine years old or, or you know, whenever, um, repeatedly over your life. And now all those other coronaviruses are simply a common cold because so much of the population has had prior exposure to it. I think the same will be true for this, this virus. Uh, at some point, we'll just think of it as a common, another common cold virus. The problem in 2020 is that it met an immune-naive population. Five years from now, and certainly even now, we're not no longer an immune-naive population. Republican leadership in the House of Representatives, which will now be the majority come January, they have said that they will use their majority to investigate the decisions that Dr. Fauci made. He was asked about that today during his press conference, and here's what he had to say. Let's play clip three. But I've testified before the Congress a few hundred times, okay, <laughs> over the last 40 years or so. So I have no trouble testifying. We can defend and explain and stand by everything that we've said. So I have nothing to hide. Dr. Bhattacharya, what's your reaction to that? I'm glad. I mean, I, I'm glad he, he needs to answer a very large number of questions. I hope he answers them honestly, because uh, if he doesn't, then the American people will continue to lose trust in public health. He owes the American people an answer about the decisions he made to fund uh, gain-of-function research, gain-of-function research that uh, that was conducted in a Chinese laboratory where the epicenter of the, the virus started. Um, he owes people uh, and the American people an answer to questions about his management of the pandemic. Why did he recommend lockdowns? Did he actually think that lockdowns worked? Did Why did he recommend school closures? Did he, did he did, Was he aware of the harms done to children as a consequence of it? Um, did, why did he... Uh, recommend vaccine mandates. Was he was was he aware at the time that the vaccine didn't stop transmission? What, what, I think a lot of questions need he uh, he needs to answer. I, I have to say I, I think he owes the American people those answers. But what I've seen through the pandemic is that he is unable to come to terms with the fact that his own advice has failed, and he often makes excuses for it. The final word on this will require him to answer, but it will not be his answer that I think will be the final word. It'll be told by people who are harmed, especially the poor, by the vulnerable, and children who are harmed by the advice that he gave. Well, there are members of Congress who are eager to ask questions, and at least uh, if today's any indication, he seems eager to provide them. And you've mentioned some of the questions that you'd like answers to. Do you think there's anything currently being done that is a mistake? Well, I think uh, the the booster. Uh, so you heard the recommendation that everyone should get boosted, more or less. Well, I, I think the advice needs to be much more subtle than that. If you've had COVID and recovered, you probably don't need a booster. Maybe if you've never had COVID, somehow you've escaped it, and you've had uh, you've had two vaccines but not the booster. Maybe it's worthwhile. Uh, I, I think, uh, I, but I, I don't know the answer to that because not solid scientific evidence has not been developed to, to say that one way or the other. Um, I, I think uh, the biggest mistake still being made in this pandemic is that the CDC and the NIH and uh, the American public health is 
flying blind. Instead of demanding and creating studies to answer key questions, who really needs to be boosted? Um, will masks, will N95 masks at scale work? Uh, to, 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 to slow the, to protect uh, the, uh, vulnerable people. I mean, there are lots of questions that I guess in principle you could answer with high quality studies. Instead, what we've seen is low quality studies, uh, extrapolations far outside what the scientific evidence says, moralization. I think we're still seeing that to some extent, the politicization of public health. All of those, I think, are still mistakes that are being made and should be corrected. Dr. Bhattacharya, final question. I mentioned in the opening that a bipartisan group in the Senate voted to end the COVID emergency powers. President Biden said he has opposed this and he would veto it if that got to his desk. Do you think President Biden still needs emergency powers after almost three years in about 45 seconds? No, he does not need emergency powers. Any uh, powers that that he's currently using for the COVID emergency would better be handled by normal democratic processes. He is not a king. He's a president. He should act like one. Well, we actually see right now that uh, Justin Trudeau up in Canada is having that same debate with his people, the accusation that he is a king, that he is a president, or in that case, a prime minister, rather than a president. But uh, that uh, that lust for power, perhaps it is, um, is e- not easily given up. But Dr. Bhattacharya, we appreciate uh, not just today, but over the last several years, you have been a voice of reason for a lot of us as we have tried to uh, sort through the confusion and the fog of this. And we we appreciate your your courage, which it certainly took throughout much of this and your time as well today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. And friends, we thank you for being with us as well. This is an important issue, an important day as we end the era of uh, Dr. Fauci, who will come next in that era remains to be seen. But friends, we will let you go for tonight. We will be back tomorrow here on Washington Watch. We look forward to seeing you then. Until then. Get ready for Thanksgiving, uh, work out so you can burn those calories and fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.